You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a meaty middle about verbing nouns and nouning verbs. And a quick and dirty tip about whether you should say, it is I, or it is me. Does it make you cringe whenever someone says they tasked someone with something? Do you scratch your head when someone wants to know what the ask is, or says that you need a solve for a problem? Do you run the other way when someone says they want a dialogue with you? If so, you're probably like our listener named Alan, who called in about a problem he was having at work. People keep hijacking nouns and turning them into verbs and turning them into nouns. The audio was a little spotty, but to paraphrase, he said that his colleagues often use solution as a verb, as in, now's not the time to solution this. But then they'll also use solve as a noun, as in, we have this problem and it's been really difficult to find the solve. You probably associate this sort of usage more with Dilbert's pointy-haired boss than with Shakespeare. But it may surprise you to learn that some of these words are centuries old, and in fact were used by the bard himself. In Shakespeare's play Love's Labor's Lost, the Princess of France says, But now to task the tasker. And in Timon of Athens, Apamantus says, Dost dialogue with thy shadow? And ask as a noun goes back a thousand years or more to Old English, though it mostly fell out of use and didn't pop up again until the late 20th century. Why are these formations so common? Because English makes it easy to turn one part of speech into another. Old English was a much more heavily inflected language, meaning that many words had endings to show gender, number, and case, or to show conjugation. But most of those endings disappeared as Old English turned into Middle English. So verbs and nouns didn't necessarily have distinct endings anymore. You could easily make one kind of word into the other simply by using it that way. Linguists call this kind of transformation conversion, meaning that a word is converted from one part of speech into another without adding any kind of suffix or making any other changes. So if turning nouns into verbs and vice versa has been a normal part of English for centuries, then why do so many people hate these words? Well, there isn't always a clear answer, but one possible explanation is that we tend to dislike usages that are new or that suddenly become more popular. 
For example, nearly a hundred years ago, people started using contact as a verb to mean to get in touch with someone. And as soon as people started using it, other people started complaining about it, saying that it was vague or that there was no need for it when we already had perfectly good words and phrases like call, talk to, or write to. But that vagueness is part of what makes it so useful. Sometimes the means of contact is irrelevant, so it's nice to have a catch-all word. And once it stopped being new, and once people realized how handy it can be, people stopped complaining about it. And as we said earlier, verbs like task and dialogue go back to Shakespeare's time. But they were uncommon or had started to fall out of use until they found new life in the business world. That brings us to the next theory of why people hate verbed nouns. Because they hate business jargon, and verbed nouns seem to be common in the business world. Of course, many verbed nouns have nothing to do with business jargon, and you probably use them without thinking about them. Have you ever hosted a party or emailed a friend or accessed a database? If so, you've used nouns that have been pressed into service as verbs, and no one seems bothered by these. Plus, they have the advantage of being shorter than phrases like played host at a party, sent an email to a friend, or gained access to a database. Sometimes there are other shades of meaning that make a verbed noun preferable to the original verb. Give, for example, could mean to give something back to someone, or give something that they're just borrowing, or that they demanded of you. Gift, on the other hand, specifically means to give something as a gift. That more specific meaning makes it useful in situations where give might be unclear. Now let's come back to the caller's complaint about people at work using solution as a verb and solve as a noun. Sometimes it's difficult to see what difference in meaning there is between we need to find a solve and we need to find a solution, or between we need to solution this and we need to solve this. But sometimes the point of jargon is less about conveying a more precise meaning and more about establishing an in-group and an out-group. That is, using jargon might not always communicate better, but it can show that you're part of the team. While it might feel silly to say that you're solutioning a problem by finding a solve, doing so might have an important social function at work. It's still okay to dislike such usage, though it's important to recognize that forming verbs from nouns and nouns from verbs is a normal part of English and has been for at least a thousand years. You probably used verbed nouns and nouned verbs all the time without even realizing it. So the next time someone at work says you don't need to solution a problem, try to face it with a little less cringe and a little more resolve to find joy in the marvelous flexibility of the English language. That segment was written by Jonathan Owen, an editor and linguist who blogs at errantpedantry.com. It is I, Grammar Girl, here to help you understand when to use the words I and me. A listener named Jody wanted to know which is correct, it is I or it is me. She says that when she answers the phone and the person asks, is Jody there? She usually responds by saying, this is she. But one of her friends says this is incorrect, and now they have a $5 bet on the question. The short answer is that Jody wins. The traditional grammar rule states when a pronoun follows a linking verb, such as is, the pronoun should be in the subject case. 
It's also called the nominative. That means it's correct to say, it is I, and it was he who dropped the phone in shock when Jody answered, this is she, because he is the same type of pronoun as I. Linking verbs are words like is, was, were, appear, and seem, which don't describe an action so much as describe a state of being. When pronouns follow these non-action verbs, you use the subject pronouns, such as I, she, he, they, and we. Here are some more correct examples. Who called Jody? It was he. Who told you about it? It was I. Who had the phone conversation? It must have been they. Who cares? It is we. Now, the problem is that 90% of you are almost certainly thinking, well, that all sounds really weird. Is she serious? Yes, I'm serious, and that is the traditional rule. But fortunately, most grammarians forgive you for not following the rule. In her aptly titled book, Woe is I, Patricia O'Connor notes that almost everyone says, it is me, and that the it is I construction is almost extinct. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage says that it's a style choice, and that it is I is a formal style, and it is me is a more casual style. In fact, most people who write about language agree that unless you're answering the phone for the English department at the University of Chicago or responding to a Supreme Court judge—in other words, in a very formal situation for the English language—that's me is an acceptable answer. So even though Jody is technically correct, it would probably be more fair for her and her friend to take the $5 and just go get a cold beverage together. I also have to add a note about the phrase, woe is me. Back in 2007, Jan Freeman pointed out in her Boston Globe column that woe is me is an entirely different kind of sentence from it is me. Whereas we have a little bit of controversy over sentences such as it is me, woe is me is the only technically correct way to say it. It's not controversial because in woe is me, me is in something called the dative case not the nominative like it is in it is me. In other words, the me in woe is me is an indirect object. The person is receiving woe. Finally, in the original version of this segment, also way back in 2007, I said, until next time, it is I, Grammar Girl, who thanks you for listening, which created something of a firestorm in the comment section. Someone insisted that it should be, it is I, Grammar Girl, who thank you. And I changed it, and then a bunch of people thought that was wrong. So I did some extra research, and I want to set the record straight. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage, different usage commenters have made different arguments for the use of either a singular or a plural verb in a sentence that starts, it is I who. So it's not surprising that we saw arguments for both a singular and a plural verb in the comments. Merriam-Webster notes that this is a rare type of sentence, and there's no strong consensus about which verb is right. However, in the examples they've gathered, it's more common to use the verb that goes with I. One of the examples reads, it is I who possess these attributes. So ignoring the appositive, Grammar Girl, I'm going to stick with It Is I, Grammar Girl, who thank you for listening. Finally, I have a familect story. 
Hey, Grandma Girl. My name is Liz, and I'm just calling to share a small family lecture with you. On a road trip from Montana to Disneyland with my family when I was three, my mom was the navigator, well before we had GPS. The next bathroom break, I announced that I wanted to be the alligator this time, and it stuck. 20-plus years later, my sister-in-law was alligating when others in the car questioned her skills. She just responded, I'm just the alligator. My three-year-old niece pipes up in the background, and I'm the monkey. Hereafter on road trips, you were either the driver, the alligator, or a monkey. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Liz. I liked this story for this week because of the way she turned alligator, a noun, into alligating. See, it's a common thing to do to turn words into a different part of speech. If you want to hear your familect story on the show, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, leave a voicemail message like Liz did at 833214-GIRL. I'm Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl and author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. You can find me at the home of my podcast network, quickanddirtytips.com, where you can also find our newest show, The Relationship Doctor. Thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sams. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.